0: Hello, my friends. Today, we're talking to Andrew, Director of Strategic Content at Sneak, And we discuss how security teams can become the hero, the nature and causes of sophisticated cloud attacks, and how to go about solving culture issues in the workplace. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast is the Modern CTO Podcast.
1: So why did you start the company? So as you pointed out, there's this long ago startup called Grasshop that I had co-founded, which was in a completely different sector, um, which was more about grassroots advocacy, but Our platform ran on Amazon Web Services around year 2009, 2010, so I became pretty familiar with AWS. But unfortunately, grass or maybe fortunately, Grasshop uh, was not a success. And as I was winding it down and white-gloving my customers off of the, the platform, an old friend of mine, Josh Stella, reached out to me and said, hey, you do the startup thing, I've got this idea and I want to bounce it off of somebody. An hour later, after a long phone call with Josh, I, I turned to my now wife and said, I think I'm going back in one more time. I got to do the startup thing because I'm not an expert necessarily at the time in cloud security, but what Josh was talking about sounded pretty compelling. And so we, we got together, we formed Fugue in 2013 is when we kind of became really official. And you know the rest is history really.
0: And what does that name mean? What does
1: fugue mean? So a fugue is a, uh, it's a type of musical composition uh, popularized by Bach. So if you think about Baroque music, it's, it's often a fugue. And essentially to kind of simplify it, what it means is you introduce a musical phrase and then you continue to introduce variations on that phrase over time and one we feel like that's that's very much kind of how the cloud works you know you start with something and then you continuously deploy newer versions on top of that and that's kind of the the life cycle of an application these days but where we stumbled on that is we actually had an early visualization of the fugue product which was really involved in kind of think about immutable infrastructure patterns which is you know never update or modify something you replace it when you have a new version but doing that on a schedule and the visualization, somebody looked at it and said, that looks like a Bach fugue, like a, like a piano roll. And so that's how we stumbled on that. And, and my, my co-founder Josh and I um, are both musicians. So when, when, uh, when that name kind of popped out there, we were like, that's, that's it. That's the name. Nice.
0: So then how did you meet the sneak people? Did They just call you up and they're like, Hey bro, want to buy your company?
1: So not exactly, uh, it, you know, the, I think the conversation got got started early on, really with the, inf- you know, the the adoption of infrastructure as code for cloud operations, if you will. And I can, in a nutshell, describe what infrastructure as code is. But when you, when you use cloud platforms like AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, typically you would go into their interface, kind of what their cloud console, if you will, and kind of click around manually to to create virtual servers and networks and these kinds of things. And a number of years ago, maybe about half a decade ago, it really got um, started taking off to use infrastructure as code, such as Terraform or CloudFormation. And what this allows teams to do is express in a language that the cloud provider APIs can understand, express what your infrastructure environment should look like, all of the different components and services that you want in your environment. And then you run that against the cloud APIs to build everything uh, in your environment. What inf- And so this is very scalable, shareable. Um, you can create infrastructure environment templates at an organization. So it's it's a very efficient and consistent way to do cloud infrastructure operations. But what it also enables us to do is shift cloud security left pre-deployment and, and start really treating the cloud as it really is, which is just software. You know, a lot of people think of cloud providers like AWS as like a remote data center, uh, and you can certainly treat it that way. But more and more as organizations are building and running applications natively in the cloud, they're treating the cloud just like a giant global computer. It's just software. We can program that computer, all of our infrastructure, modify it with code and secure that code, validate that that, that what we're going to do is secure before we build it. So this is a really big sea change in cloud security. Typically, you know, one, the ops team, maybe it's the DevOps team, could build your infrastructure environment, and then the security team will come in and evaluate it, monitor it to make sure it's secure. So by securing it early, we can find and fix things when it's faster and easier to do so, just like we're we're seeing quite a bit with application security. Um, and also just be more secure operating in the cloud. So this was an area that Fugue was heavily invested in, building out the ability to check your infrastructure's code for security and then check the the, the end result, the running environment using the same policies. And so that was something that that Sneak was interested in because Sneak is a real trailblazer in developer-first application security. And now more and more application teams are treating their cloud infrastructure as just a part of the application. They also want to be able to secure the the infrastructure side of things in the develop early in the development process. So that's how the conversation started. They were interested in what we were doing. I think we had very similar, you know, philosophies about security first starting security with developers empowering developers to make sure that what they're doing is secure and doing it with tools that work the way they work rather than kind of waiting until the the, the developers deploy and then bring the security team in because you really it, it's not only um less secure to do it that way it's very in in inefficient and often results in a lot of um, really painful rework. You know, security team finds something late in the process. Sometimes fixing that isn't exactly easy. It might require a lot of re-architecture or a lot of rework in the application.
0: Yeah, it can be super frustrating. You wrap up, you know, a change, you send it off and then they come back and you just have to redo the work. That's uh, That was the first, before you said that, that was like the number one thing in my in my mind because... When you describe this concept of security early, it just sounds like, yep, that's the most logical thing. But then it hasn't been that way for so long. And then when you describe the old way, it's like, oh man, I'm so glad people like you are out there making tools to make developers' lives easier. And companies more efficient, too. It's not just developers' lives easier. It's the company itself is having less waste as far as
1: time goes. Mm Mm-hmm. And you'll see that too, the 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 drive to shift security left into the development process primarily is driven by the developers. And, and in cloud security, it's driven often by the DevOps teams, the and the operations teams that are that are working in the cloud. Not so much to be more secure. Everybody wants to be more, you know, everybody wants to do their work securely, but their primary motivators are to get rid of these headaches that they're dealing with every day. So if you're a, a cloud infrastructure operations engineer and you're having to spend half your day or you know somebody on your team is full-time devoted to just dealing with the security tickets that are coming in from the security team and trying to figure out how do we remediate these? Is the remediation gonna make some kind of breaking change in the application? The rate of misconfigurations that security teams are finding in the cloud is so high that we found, you know, a typical enterprise cloud team that's operating at scale is put is investing, you know, fifty or more hours a week to just dealing with like tickets in you know ServiceNow or whatever system that they're using, and they've got to go investigate these and remediate them. You know, give an engineer a, a manual annoying task. And their tendency is how can I automate this away? Like how can I program this problem off of my plate? So that's what we're seeing with, you know, infrastructure's code security or or develop uh, security tools in a in a in a programmer's IDE. The motivation is I want to be spending the most amount of time as I can being creative building things creating value not dealing with security headaches so you know again we all want to be secure but the motivation for a lot of this is i want to be more productive and what we are seeing too organizations are finding when they really adopt these kinds of methodologies and improve their their cloud security or their application security they're finding it's easier to attract and remain and retain engineering talent
0: so is it set up in a way where let's say I'm the security leader of a company that has software engineers can I go into the tool and sort of set my requirements or is it only what you guys deem necessary
1: Absolutely so it's 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 both and it's not only what we deem necessary what you would get out of out of something like Sneak Sneak Cloud primarily are like the compliance frameworks out of the box So if you have us if if you're primarily building and running a SaaS application on on Azure, you might need to comply with SOC two, or maybe you have to comply with HIPAA or NIST or GDPR, or any of the other you know compliance regimes. All of those compliance regimes have something to say about the configuration of your cloud environment, how data is is managed, those kinds of things, and you don't necessarily want your team, unless they are compliance experts, you don't want them interpreting these rules because often they're kind of nebulous, they're ambiguous, they're subject to a lot of interpretation. They're written in human language. And that's ultimately like a huge problem with with a lot of these kinds of rules is it's a binder or a PDF of a bunch of controls. But somebody has to go and say, how do these controls apply to the cloud environment that I'm operating in in the context of the application that we're running. And that's, that's not a trivial task. And so what we do is we express, we basically we have experts that express all of these policies as code. So it's, it's essentially policy as code libraries on our end that we make available to our customers. So you can just say, I need to comply with SOC 2. And Sneak Cloud will immediately kind of tell you where, you know, where you have issues and how to correct those. But in addition, most customers also have internal policies, you know, maybe additional security policies, rules on top of whatever compliance they have to comply with. And it might be things outside of just security, too, just, you know, where we're allowed to operate, or, you know, are you allowed to use that you know mega uh, cloud instance that's going to cost us you know a few grand a, 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 you know a month? So customers can express custom policies as well, and then vend those out to the team. So what then you wind up with in this kind of scenario is the security team becomes the domain expert on what's allowed and what's not allowed in their cloud environment. And with this policy as code, they're vending these policies out to the rest of their organization in a way where those software developers or cloud engineers, they have tooling that just ingest ingest that and then just checks their work as they're working in a way that they're working. So one of the keys to empowering developers and engineers on security is you can't interrupt the way they're work. You can't break how they do their work. These kind of tools have to work in their tool chains, in their workflows. If you want them to adopt the 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 security tooling, and so that's what Sneak Cloud is. It's all of those things together. Yep. Yeah. Sneak Cloud being kind of one part of the Sneak platform. So there's Sneak application security, open source security, and cloud and container. So essentially, when we see, you know, if you're using the cloud truly as a platform for building and running your own applications, again, you start kind of treating the cloud infrastructure as just another part of that application. And you want to secure the whole stack holistically. And what we see with cloud breaches, cloud attacks, is the attackers do not, recognize or honor the arbitrary boundaries that we draw around things. So we might, you know, it's not uncommon to have, say, an AppSec team that's really focused on application security and organization, and then maybe a cloud security team that's really focused on the cloud infrastructure. Those teams might not be talking very much, and they might not be checking kind of the overall context of the security posture of their application and their infrastructure. But what we see a lot is the attacker might exploit something like Log4J and use that to gain, gain residence in a cloud resource in the environment, and then from there execute a control plane compromise attack, which we should get into because I think this is something that a lot of teams are really missing. They're They're not understanding how cloud breaches are going down today. And they get sort of focused on this idea of misconfiguration as being the risk in the cloud. And that's technically true, but it's also missing a big part of the picture. And I think it's why we're seeing cloud breaches that are hitting some of the most sophisticated cloud customers out there, including cloud providers themselves. These are, we've kind of long graduated from the you know negligence award kind of cloud breaches where you know an organization leaves you know all the sensitive data in a in an Amazon S3 object storage bucket and they leave it wide open to the world and of course somebody's going to come along and find that and steal the data and throw it up on the dark web or what have you we still see some of that but that used to be what what we would see often in in the cloud Today, what we're seeing are pretty sophisticated cloud attacks where once the attacker gains resonance on a cloud resource, maybe via an application vulnerability, it might be due to, you know, they found, they got in through a misconfigured resource or it might be source code, uh, uh, API keys in source code or on disk, a lot of different initial penetration vectors. But once they're in the cloud environment, they're after the API keys associated with that cloud resource that will enable them to operate against the control plane of the cloud provider. This is the same control plane that cloud customers use to build and run their cloud environments. But what that enables the hacker is this is, it's it's the keys to the kingdom kind of scenario because an attacker with that kind of, of, of access can discover all the knowledge they need about the environment, uh, move about laterally, and then ultimately find the data they're looking for and extract it right out from under any kind of attempt at intrusion detection, because these attacks are not traversing networks that can be tapped and monitored the way we would in the data center. Now I might find your S3 bucket that has data that i want and i might just execute an s3 sync command and copy the contents of that of your bucket into a bucket in my account or maybe i find a database snapshot and i just copy that into my account and there's no intrusion detection you might you might notice that this happens if you're monitoring your logs and analyzing your logging activity but even then it might just say, hey, oh no, we were breached. But you're not necessarily gonna, gonna catch the attack in progress and stop it. So, you know, it's scary. I think we're all used to to you know seeing headlines like company suffers cloud data breach due to misconfigured server. But if that cloud breach involved you know, cut all sorts of customer data, maybe source code across multiple repos, all, all this kinds of different things that were stolen. We can all assume that all of that did not exist on the misconfigured server. So, all we're getting in that from that headline is the initial penetration vector. But we're, what we're not getting is this big middle part of the story of what did the attacker do after they got in? and then ultimately making off with all of this data. And that's the control plane compromise scenario that security, cloud security teams really need to be focused on preventing.
0: Well, a couple questions. Sure. First, can you go a little bit deeper to how do they get your API keys?
1: So there might be API keys that are left in source code. Oh, yeah, I know. I've seen people do that on GitHub. That, I mean, that's common. Or API keys on disk. You know the the easiest way to to prevent that from happening is just to rotate your keys on a very, very rapid level because what will happen there is, is is developers won't leave their keys and source code and use that, you know as part of the application trying to do its work operating against cloud resources, that's just obviously the wrong way to do it. It's a dangerous way to do it. If you're rotating your source code keys or your API keys, they're just going to stop putting them in source code because they have no way of updating them. So you really need to be relying on uh, key management services provided by by the cloud providers to, to perform that role. So that's, you know, I want to say it's a relatively, you know, easy fix to that kind of problem from happening, but we still see it happen all the time. Yeah, you hear horror stories. I mean, I've been hearing this for a decade.
0: Some novice person uploads their AWS keys to a public GitHub repo, and then someone just charges up a bill of $100,000. You know, that's not an uncommon thing. I've seen it, like, I don't know the number specifically, but several thousand dollars. I've seen that happen more than a handful of times. So, So just to be clear, they will infiltrate a developer's machine or somebody who has a machine that has the
1: API keys on it. Yeah, or it could be in the source in GitHub Okay. Or, you know, I think the big takeaway for me is that there are a number of different ways that an attacker can find their way into your cloud environment. So essentially design your cloud infrastructure environment with the assumption that attackers are going to get in. And what you want is an environment that's inherently secure against the control plane compromise kind of scenario. And what's the difference? What's the difference between an environment that like I just
0: spin up naturally and like configure based off of need as a developer engineering team versus one that's designed to uh, know that hackers are going to come in here and somehow slow them down or make it difficult for them?
1: Sure. So, you know, a good example would be an EC2 instance in AWS that has list S3 permissions on it. This is the kind of, of knowledge gaining ability that can be very valuable for an attacker. So if I, if I get residents on a resource in your environment and then I, with that resources, roles and privileges, I can generate a list of all the S3 buckets in that environment you know chances are oftentimes you know one the 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 names of those S3 buckets are going to give me some clues as to which ones I might want to check out first so you want to essentially strip down the IAM ro- the IAM configurations for every resource particularly the internet facing ones to be the bare minimum required for that resource to do its job and this is a hard thing for cloud engineers and developers to do because it's it's easier to just give them broad permission. So we kind of get into kind of a least privilege type of scenario. But you yeah, you want to make their job harder. So if they get into your cloud environment, they can't really see much, they can't move around to try to find what they might be looking for, they're going to bounce more often than not because there's plenty of other low hanging fruit out there, lower hanging fruit than what you're providing them. So it becomes kind of a scenario where you don't wanna be doing the, the, the attacker's job for them. I'd liken it a lot of times like cloud environments or like think of a think of a castle with an outer wall. It's a pretty good outer wall, but every 50 feet inside the outer wall is a treasure map and a bag full of IDs that will enable an attacker to impersonate you know, official castle personnel and move about the castle. And that's essentially what a lot of enterprise cloud environments look like. We focus on building taller, bigger, tougher walls to try to prevent any kind of incursion, but it's sort of like an M&M security. It's kind of this hard, crunchy outer shell. But once somebody gets in, it's, it's, it's a really soft security situation where they can move about. How, how do you
0: develop tools that, obviously, least privilege is a pain in the butt for the developers because they need to get done what they need to get done, and it's just difficult, right? Who's developing tools that are making least privilege easier for developers?
1: Well, certainly Sneak Cloud will be and there is an open source infrastructure as code security tool called regula out there you can find it at, at regula.dev that can be helpful with this at least find some of the more egregious kind of violations in terms of how iam can be configured but really yeah you it, it's 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 not always an easy fix it's certainly less painful if you find these issues as you're developing infrastructure as code, as opposed to an already running environment that might be rife with these kinds of violations. But the compliance regimes are typically not gonna flag these things as violations. So it really is incumbent upon, either the cloud security team or the cloud engineering team to kind of go above and beyond what they might be required to adhere to from a compliance perspective to, uh, to, to to address these kinds of vulnerabilities. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's there's like 700 IAM roles associated with EC2. And, you know, going and finding the right one for the job that you're trying to do is not, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time. No, bro, do you just need global admin? Give it to every developer? Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, so all these things you're talking about are things that... Sneak has tools to help with. Correct. And then what's the website and how do you spell it? It's sneak.io s n y k. And I want to hear about this puppy named Patch. What's
1: up with that? So Patch is kind of the, the mascot dog of Sneak. Obviously, Patch, haha. You have to you yeah. have to you have to patch your servers, right? Dad jokes, no. dude. I love yeah, it. Exactly. And I, and,
0: and I mistakenly referred to this Doberman as a puppy, it is not. He he looks like he's going to protect. He's not tough. I, yeah,
1: I think we're I think we're going to you know we're we're looking at you know also uh, softening his image a little bit because because Patch is really just a you know he's a he's a family dog. He's not. Do they have a physical like <laughs> stuffed patch dog in the office? I, there there are. We do have some
0: offices, but we're also in a, a highly distributed team. Nice. And so you guys made a
1: decision to go mostly remote or fully remote. So Sneak, I believe, has been kind of a fully remote company from its uh, inception in 2015. But there are some Sneak offices. So there's the, the headquarters is in Boston. And then there's an office in London and Tel Aviv as well. Oh, dude, that's
0: a huge. I get a lot of people on from Tel Aviv, like as small as they are. They're really stepping up on the stage for technology on the world stage. So absolutely.
1: And just, you know, a lot of security Technology and security companies coming out of Tel Aviv, for sure. Well,
0: because they have the mandatory service in the IDF and they yep. go into the IDF and they're they learning even if they didn't have, you know, from eight years old being a software developer, when they're getting into the service, they're like, oh, computers, that sounds cool. They're learning security and they're getting paid to learn. And then they come out and they're just like bright security people who, you know, know know the different issues that exist at scale, which is honestly yep. one of the hardest things. The hard, one, one hard thing to do is to be in a position where you understand things at scale. So like me personally; I've never had a company with more than thirty people. Mm. So, like, I don't know what type of problems people in the Fortune 500 are facing, and what I hear people come on my show and complain about some of the <laughs> the right. difficulty and the
1: blockers, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting too. Like, so we just released the uh, Sneak State of Cloud Security Report, Ooh. which you can find at, at Sneak.io. One of the things that I wanted to do, of course, we kind of cover like, you know, how bad is the problem? And like a third of the organizations we surveyed suffered a cloud data breach just last year. So the problem is big and it's, it's kind of universal. But one of the things I wanted to get into was sort of, you know, beyond security, like, you know, I've, I've often said security is the rate limiting factor for how fast teams can go in the cloud and how productive they can be. Because we have all the, you know, we have all these productivity tools, we have CICD, we have great IDs, infrastructures code to kind of generate at scale cloud environments in minutes. We can build a global network in minutes, but it's often the security concerns that slow us down. It's the, it might be the security team that says, whoa, 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 you're going way too fast. Like we need time to be able to review and certify that everything you're doing is secure. So I wanted to kind of dig into that. And what I found again was that cloud security is making it harder for teams to attract talent. You know, if you're a, if you're a software engineer, do you want to go work for an organization that kind of has a lot of this stuff solved and you're not going to have to focus a bunch of time on security? Or, you know, if you're a cloud engineer, do you want to go work somewhere that's going to force you to spend, you know, half your time dealing with manual security tasks? It's like kind of a no Yeah, not interested. Right. What are the delays for deploying applications? What do those look like because of security reviews? Is it impacting your organization's ability to, to innovate and compete by slowing everything down? You talk about understanding things at scale, you know, a typical cloud environment, an enterprise cloud environment might involve hundreds of thousands of resources that are changing constantly. How does any human or, or an army of humans wrap their head around that kind of complexity and dynamism at scale? And so these things are really not, you know, we can't solve the cloud security challenge with the tools and methods that we've used in the past. It's just not possible. And the security team can't solve these problems themselves. That's why you know we believe that security starts with the developers that are building the stuff in the first place. And if we can get security right as we're building it, designing it and developing it, there not only will we be more secure, but the security team is actually able to scale their effort without having to scale up headcount, you know we're able to get a lot more uh, out of our engineering and development teams because they're just building; they're not being forced to to worry about security as much as as they were before. So these are all the stats.
0: Obviously, you know we don't need to go stat by stat. What's one of the more interesting ones here? So one of
1: the the more interesting ones that I found was around kind of who who's primarily responsible for cloud security and. If you ask engineers, cloud engineers, 49% of them say that the cloud engineering team is primarily responsible for cloud security, but only 19% of security professionals would say that. So, oh, really? Yeah. So what's, what's going on there? I have some theories. I'd love to be able to go do a second round of surveys with these folks, but knowing what I know, what we see again is that engineers are just taking ownership over the problem. Because it's such a headache for them now that they're just setting about solving it. And again, what we found is when teams are using infrastructure's code and they secure it before they deploy, they're reducing misconfiguration by 70% and improving productivity by 70%. Median. The median improvement in productivity and the, and the speed of deployment is 70%. That's a huge. Huge improvement, a
0: huge ROI. Those stats make sense, though, because when it's their specialty, they feel like their specialty should be the ones that are doing it. And it takes time for the market to realize these tools exist and to trust them and for all that information to flow from developers and implementation to the actual security experts. Because you're right, they're engineers. They're design we as engineers, we solve problems. We're like, oh, give me a problem, right? So they're taking it into their hands. And then the security people are probably caught a little bit off guard by like, hey, what's going on? You know, and then do I trust whatever sort of system is behind whatever sort of policies, you know, this company has that are injecting and influencing my developers. That's why my first question to you was uh, about, do you allow the security people to come in and manage
1: their own policies to some degree? So, yeah, I mean, so when we look at and we work with a lot of organizations that are that are moving fast and operating at scale in the cloud, it becomes kind of obvious when you're working with a lot of these organizations that there's some some of them and some teams that are really getting cloud security right and others that are just just really challenged they're you know and what do i mean by getting it right they're moving fast they're they're you know they're reducing risk that kind of a thing and so i wanted to figure out you know what is it about these teams that are getting cloud security right like what are they doing are are there common traits among them that we might figure out and use to kind of do better and and educate And we did. I call it the five fundamentals of cloud security. And every one of these organizations that's really getting cloud security right are doing all of these things. And part of it is their their security teams are embedding themselves with application development teams, with cloud uh, DevOps teams. They're not just solely focused on like, I need a I need a tool that's gonna do a better job of finding issues in the running environment. They're learning about the software development life cycle for the cloud infrastructure environment. What IAC tools are being used? What's the applications associated with the infrastructure that that we're trying to secure? Because they're focused on stopping from digging themselves into a deeper hole if you are if you are not trying to prevent misconfigurations and these kinds of uh, design vulnerabilities from happening, you're just playing whack-a-mole. and you're you're focused on kind of finding better tools to play whack-a-mole, but you're not doing anything to stem that flow of issues that are reaching production or reaching the running environment. So these teams are spending the time, learning what the engineering teams are doing and how they're doing it. And then figuring out how to build tooling into their workflows in a way that they're going to enjoy, that they're going to, they're, they're actually going to adopt it and use it. Because you can throw security tools at developers all day long. And if it's if it's not conducive in their workflow, they're just not going to do it. And so You have to make sure that they're going to enjoy it, that they're going to appreciate it. They want to do things securely. They just don't want to have to change the way they work, right? So policy as code, again, becomes kind of, I think, a a big part of this because the nice you know not only is policy as code a way to 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 express policy in a language that other applications can understand and ingest and use to validate what they're doing is correct or not but it gets everybody on the same page so if both of us have the same rule binder of rules that we're supposed to operate under not only are we going to just have errors in how we interpret these things, but we're gonna have differences in interpretation. We're not necessarily gonna understand how they apply in different use cases and that kind of a thing. And the beauty of policy as code is it, it acts as like a lingua franca for security and compliance policy across the organization that the security team manages, but everybody can subscribe to and use in their tooling. To get things right. So it becomes a way of distributing security and empowering other teams to operate securely. It's sort of a single source of of truth. I don't want to put you on the spot, Mm -hmm. but could you rattle
0: off succinctly the five things they have in common? Or is that not something that you have memorized?
1: Oh, sure. So, okay. The first fundamental of cloud security that all of these organizations get right is, is they focus on knowledge. They know their environment. They understand everything that they have running in their environment, how it's configured, how all of the resources relate to each other. So they've kind of, they've mapped this out on kind of a resource graph, if you will. But they also understand how those environments are being created whether it's infrastructure as code or a mix of infrastructure as code and kind of clicking around in the console. They understand the context of that infrastructure environment with the applications and the data that's in use in that environment. So that's one, it's sort of a know your environment kind of fundamental. The second is that they all focus on uh, prevention and secure design essentially it's sort of rather than kind of having an intrusion detection mindset where we're focused on catching bad guys in the act and stopping them before they're able to do damage, these teams understand that that's not a realistic scenario for security in the cloud. So what we need to do is prevent the conditions in a cloud environment that make these kinds of modern cloud attacks possible, the control plane compromised. So how do we do that? We empower our developers, our cloud engineers, this is the third fundamental, with the tools that help them design inherently secure cloud environments from the start. So the way to prevent and and focus on secure design is by empowering those that are building and operating in the cloud with tools to do that securely. The fourth piece is the technology piece and this is policy as code. You can't hard code these kinds of guardrails into, into your security tooling. It's, it doesn't scale, it's hard to audit, but if, if, if your tooling is designed to ingest the policy as code libraries that you create and vend out to your environment, it becomes much more scalable for everybody to be operating on the same page with regard to policy. And if a change in policy happens, you know your policy as code can be in a repository. You have a change history there. You have a change management process for dealing with updating your policies over time. And if you update a policy or add a policy, you can now immediately see by adding this policy, where in our, our overall cloud environment or, or anywhere that we're operating, what just fell out of compliance? What do we need to address that's already running because we've added this new policy? So policy as code is number four. And then the fifth is that they measure what matters. And this is kind of, I would say, my takeaway from this one is that cloud security becomes ultimately a function of, of operational excellence. They These teams kind of, they know where they want to go, and then they measure religiously in a very disciplined way. So that might mean, you know, we want to reduce the rate of misconfiguration that's occurring in our environment, or we want to really reduce the time it takes for cloud engineers to be able to deliver infrastructure to the application teams by Automating the process of validating the security of those environments. Or, you know, and then additionally, we want to be able to help our application teams deliver new applications or new features faster. Or we want to make our engineering teams or our security teams more productive. These kinds of ROI stories that they attach to their cloud security program and then evaluate themselves on how they're doing against these different priorities. What you find oftentimes with organizations that kind of seem like they might be chasing their tail a lot and they're just challenged. They're not really able to kind of crack this nut. They don't even know where they want to go. They, you know, different teams have different ideas of what matters to them. Collaboration is is a really big challenge. Organizations that are not really getting cloud security right, I guarantee they have collaboration problems. The security teams not working with the development teams. They might be using different tools that are, you know, maybe they're using policy as code, but they're different frameworks for different stages of the development lifecycle. These kinds of things, and you can never get those to reconcile, and so you get a lot of friction between teams that uh, that that's hard to resolve. I
0: would be interested to see potentially in your next survey for you to have the participants self-select the quality of their culture there at the company and, and then connect that with the number of breaches they've had or attacks or something like that. Because of what you just said, right? If I get to talk to a lot of different people, right? And I get to go visit a lot of people and, and, and whatnot. And I, I've seen a wide spectrum of, of cultures. And I can tell you that it's rare that companies have awesome cultures, but the ones i see that do have awesome cultures typically are much better off financially they're growing and the people there are just like what i consider high quality people
1: yeah i i think that there's there's some folks here that have bandied about the idea of kind of a a a devsecops cultural focused kind of survey report which i think is probably what you're looking looking for i i think you're absolutely right in this report that we just released i think we see- we see signs of that you know organizations that are that are doing a, a a much better job on cloud security than others are having an easier time retaining and attracting talent that's probably a pretty good indicator of of a, of a good culture right there you know if if you're not doing this well like people are just not as happy more headaches to deal with, who wants to be in that environment, it's particularly when there's probably, you know, a dozen other companies that are really trying to lure you over. It becomes an easier decision to make, to, to bounce. If you're just, if you're only spending, a you know, a quarter percent of your time actually doing the things that you love to do. So I think you're absolutely right. 77% of the organizations that we surveyed are, are, are experiencing you know collaboration and training kind of issues when it comes to cloud?
0: Security. They're probably experiencing more incidents. I get that was the word I was looking for earlier. Like how many incidents they're having within their organization versus how good the quality of communication is culturally. Right.
1: Well, and if you, of course, like you can't solve these problems with tooling alone. To you know, Sneak is refreshing. Sneak has a no jerk rule, nice, and it's real. And I've seen it. You just can't survive here if you treat your teammates poorly.
0: You can't survive in your career long term if you do that. I mean, that's just become, you know, so I'm I'm about 35. And what I've noticed in, in my career is that every year, the jerk or the, the person that like is the save the day person, that becomes less and less and less popular. And I think partly due to the fact that you used to be able to have your hands in everything. And now there's so many disciplines that are so detailed. The The premium here is on your ability to work with other people.
1: Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. No, no amount of talent is worth having a jerk on the team, dragging everybody else down. Yes. And so from that perspective, like, I mean, I love working at sneak for that reason. It's, 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 it's pretty astounding to see um, you did say something earlier you know if people won't change then the people maybe the people need to go again without the context sometimes if you're trying to get your organization to change you know maybe it's you that needs to change yeah I have found throughout
0: my growth that the easiest way to find out if you should be digging deep to see if it's you is if you're reluctant to do so <laughs> yeah yeah are you willing to change or are you willing to even consider that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm wrong a lot, dude. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a whole other podcast.
0: Yes, it is. What didn't we cover that we want to get out there to the world? We, they got to download the report or go check out the report. They got to sign up for sneak. What else do we have to get people to do?
1: I think we need to get people, you know, particularly, I think if it's the security team, recognize that you can't solve the problem, that it really is a shared responsibility and when security teams embrace this idea of being a tool vendor for the rest of their organization to help them, to help everybody and empower them to operate more securely, we can achieve not only better security, but, but all sorts of different ROI stories. And, you know, really the security team becomes the hero. And I think that that's something that security teams are so used to being the bad guy, the team of no, no, you're not allowed to do that <laughs> or slow down, stop moving, stop innovating so fast because, you know, we need to, to come in and make sure that what you're doing is secure or not. In modern application development and cloud operations, we have this opportunity now with, for security teams to be the hero to kind of bring the solution not the problem. You know, I'm not you know, I'm not focused on finding all this bad news and throwing it at my developers and my in my engineers to uh, to fix. But now I'm coming to my developers and my engineers and saying, I'm here to make your lives a lot easier. It's also going to make my life a lot easier on the security side because when we're successful working together, it's going to be less, you know, noise coming at me, trying to kind of monitor everything and make sure that it's secure. But also you're just gonna be able to focus on doing what you love and not focusing on like, oh no, like Drew's hitting me up on Slack again. Like I know it's bad news, like whatever it is, like if Drew's hitting me up on Slack, like my day's wrecked, I'm gonna have to go chase down some sort of, you know, security issue. So yeah, I think, I think it's an opportunity for security teams to be a hero for once. Oh man, Drew, we made a podcast. How do you feel? I love it.
0: Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.